705 on CJAD 800. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by Fuller Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. Hello, Josh. Hello, Dan. And uh, this evening on the program, we'll talk to Jordan Socran of You Break, I Fix. That's coming up in just a little bit. Uh, but first, let's take a look at some of the entrepreneurial news uh, in the headlines this week. And of course, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention uh, the TPP deal off the top, the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, signed tentatively by the Canadian government today, including uh, the U.S., uh, Taiwan, Vietnam, mm -hmm, Japan, mm -hmm. a lot of Pacific nations. So a lot of trade going to be going on across the Pacific Ocean there. Obviously, some concerns locally here whenever we talk about free trade. But what, what are your thoughts in general about the concept of free trade? Uh, what, what are some of the positives and what are some, some of the potential negatives? There's no question, Dan. There's, there's good and bad to everything. If you are a great operator... Uh, and you have some foresight and you know that the world is a small place, I think the free, a free trade agreement is excellent. If you are maybe not so efficient in your ways and, and maybe a little closed-minded, uh, then you're probably a little bit more protectionist and therefore you might not fare so well. You might not like this agreement so much. The reality is the the borders are just getting that much more open. I mean, the world is small to begin with. Everybody is, as we've heard from many guests in the past, the the people are people are are exporting and importing from all over the world. The question is, what kind of barriers are there? Is it you know is it more expensive? Is it cheaper? The the dollar plays into it regardless. Uh, you know that and and I I think I think it's better in the overall and better in the long run. The reality is. It's going to happen anyways. So the question is get on board. You know, for entrepreneurs, they really just got to get on board and make sure that their business operations are operating effectively and efficiently. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs who may find themselves now with access to new markets that they never, uh, never had access to before? Well, tread a little lightly. Don't go in with your eyes closed. Go in eyes wide open. Do a little bit of research. Uh, measure. I mean, there's so much information available online. And you, you'll find, most people find that government, local governments or foreign governments are actually encouraging investment into their countries and into their cities. And so you'll find actually governments, and I mean, you know, we it's kind of a four-letter word here, government, but you'll find that governments throughout the world are actually, they, they do a pretty good job in promoting uh, inward investment into their region. And, and they can be a very, very valuable resource. Of course, the, the Canadian consulates, uh, you know, the consul generals that are around the world, they too are around to promote business. And I think that's something that, that people and entrepreneurs can absolutely take advantage of. But it's a different culture. Don't be fooled. You're not selling to Canadians when you're selling overseas. When you're selling in Europe, when you're selling in Asia, you're not selling to Canadians. So don't have that same mindset. You must possibly tweak your product, tweak your service, tweak how you approach your, your marketing and, and sales efforts. Uh, don't go in eyes closed. Go in eyes wide open. And actually, what the, the biggest piece of advice I think I would give is find a local partner. Find somebody local that knows that economy, that knows that environment, that knows the region, that knows the, the, the sales, the consumers, and cling to that and use their knowledge for your benefit. On the flip side, what advice would you give to uh, to Canadian business people who now will be buying, perhaps, from different sectors across the world that they never bought for before? Um, a dairy dairy business, perhaps, going to have access to all this cheap New Zealand cheese? What advice would you give them? Uh, do your 
quality assurance. Do your homework, do your due diligence, know where it's coming from. Uh, the last thing you want, I mean, you know, that toy manufacturer that, that had toys manufactured overseas, that there was lead in the paint. Uh, you don't want stories like that. You don't want, you know, because we're in a very socially responsible world. And if, if there's one negative story that comes out, it's just bad press and not good for you. So do your due diligence as best you can. And there's companies out there that will perform due diligences in various parts of the world. You just got to find them and make sure that you kind of CYA management, cover your rear end uh, before you actually bring in those those products or services. And of course, the manufacturing sector is, uh, is particularly uh, uh, sort of pertinent for this issue here. And uh, this is a story from the Financial Post, uh, Canadian manufacturers uh, saying that, the, well, it's not quite dead yet. And this is a quote from Chris Alexander, vice president at the C.D. Howe Institute, who did this study uh, on manufacturing sector in Canada. Uh, manufacturing firms suffered greatly during the economic recession of 08 and uh, not only did they suffer an economy setback, but uh, we also lost a lot of capacity during that recession. How has the manufacturing sector uh, been doing over the last couple of years? And uh, and do you think TPP might improve or, or worsen this, the situation? I don't know if TPP is going to necessarily help the situation, honestly. Uh, but manufacturing is not dead. People just have to think differently about manufacturing. You're not going to start manufacturing, you know, widgets or little screws that, that somebody overseas or in Asia can do millions of for much cheaper. But if you find that right product that's unique, it's going to be, instead of mass commercialization, it's going to be kind of a, a mass niche specialty. It's going to be mass niche manufacturing. It's going to be finding that right product that you can, that people want to pay a little bit more for or will know that it's okay to little, little, pay a little bit more for because it's a specialty product. It's only, it's only made here. Uh, so I, I think manufacturing is not dead. I think we just have to be a little bit smarter about it. Now, there are certainly the jobs, the you know the the sixty dollar an hour uh, union jobs that are assembly line jobs. I, I don't think those are necessarily coming back. But on a on a smaller scale, if you or not necessarily smaller scale, if you've created the right product and you can put it together here fairly efficiently, and there's a market for it in North America because we're it's a big. Big consumer market, as we all know, certainly looking south of the border, then uh, the manufacturing is not dead. I think it's just going to be more targeted. A couple of uh, HR-related stories. This one is from Financial Post. Uh, they profiled a uh, uh, the CEO of a, um, a company called Tembo Social, and they have an interesting uh, approach when it comes to their employees, um, continually sort of highlighting their successes, uh, not just sort of giving them Employee of the Month award, but but always sort of publicly stating when someone does a good job, making sure the team is aware of whoever does a good job. Is that kind of thing uh, really motivating, or does it, does it get, get old after a while? Well, I... I, there, there's no question that, you know, if somebody's going to stroke your ego, then, you know, you're probably going to feel good about yourself. Uh, but in a very collaborative environment, and, and as we see and as we hear, you know, a lot more of uh, of these, I guess, working groups are a lot more collaborative, collaborative, they share a lot more. I think their experiences, the employees, the team members today, they want to hear about other people's experiences. They want to learn from other people around them. And of course, they want to share their success so that everybody can can feel good about it. I think it's just it's just reaching out to today's generation of, of employees. I don't mean to use the word generation. It's an age thing. But, you know, what really motivates the employees today? And I think highlighting some of their some of their good points and some of their successes and some of their assets uh, can only motivate them. I don't think there's, you know, I, I always hear there's there's not enough feedback that's given by employers today. Well, this is kind of a, the answer to that is 
is you're not only giving feedback to them, you're also highlighting and spreading the word that they've been doing this this type of great job uh, throughout. Another interesting article this week on uh, on perks, employee perks, and uh, some tech companies are really going overboard. Of course, there's you know the kitchen, the food, and the coffee, and all that. But some are taking it to the next level and throwing in uh, passes to Comic Con trips. Uh, movies, film festivals, and even uh, free beer on Thursdays. Uh, w- at what point do we have to say, okay, maybe maybe you're showering your employees a little bit too much here? Well, I, I think it's a question of how, you know, what else you do. I mean, the employee still has to feel, feel fulfilled at the end of the day. They have to know that they're doing a good job in their place. Now, attracting them because you're offering them free alcohol, you know, I would I would never be caught dead doing such a thing. <laughs> hope nobody's listening to me at the moment. But th- they're... You still want to be a little bit different. You want to be a little unique. You want to you want to really, I guess, come to your have your employees say, "I like to work there because of something different." Because you can advertise and have that great PR about your place that that is not going to be heard elsewhere. So everybody's looking for that unique factor to help bring drive in talent. And the reality is, talent is limited. So anything you can do to bring in that talent through your door is going to be welcome. And it's not going to work for everybody. Uh, an accounting firm is going to be different than a widget manufacturer is going to be different than a marketing agency. So you really have to kind of know your team to know what drives them and then target those extra perks. They don't go crazy with the booze here at CJD because there are microphones everywhere. Oh, Which right, is probably right good. in front of me. There yeah, you go. Probably a good idea. Probably a good idea. Uh, today's Entrepreneur on CJAD 800 at 715. Coming up, we'll uh, chat with Jordan Sokran from You Break, I Fix, our business profile for tonight. But first, CJAD 800 traffic with Curious. Some outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and Fuller Landau's Josh Miller with you. And let's introduce our profile for the evening. Jordan Sokran is of uh, You Break, I Fix. Jordan, welcome to CJAD. Thank you. Great to be here. So, I mean, it's pretty obvious in the name, I guess. You you fix things. But uh, tell me about the business and what do you fix? Uh, you Break, I Fix is a consumer electronics repair shop. Uh, we're a retail business, a franchise. We do all our repairs in store, so nothing leaves the store. Uh, we hold inventory for common repairs, and um, we're uh, we're generalists with respect to consumer electronics. But today we get a lot of phones and tablets uh, and laptops. And so if you come in with any common device, a device with large market share, we have the part in the store, and we're able to do the repair uh, in an hour or two, and almost always same day. Where do you draw the line from electronics and size of things? Like, you know, uh, I know we were talking earlier, people, you know, if they have that, cause you break, I fix people think of you say, well, you must fix anything, uh, you know, an engine, whatever it has. So where do you kind of draw the line on items you fix? Yeah, we get a lot of requests for uh, for sort of long tail random devices, and uh, we'll try to fix anything, frankly speaking. Um, but naturally, with the volume of repairs we do, which as a company across North America is uh, you know between eighty and a hundred thousand devices a month, uh, tend to, things tend to fall into big buckets. Um, mm-hmm. So we see a lot of iPhones, a lot of Samsung phones, iPads, MacBooks, etc. Um, but we've gotten toasters and. We've had a cardiogram machine uh, recently, <laughs> which uh, which all the stores were talking about. So so we get a lot of fun uh, fun one off devices that uh, that we like to take on if we can. Now, how did you get into this business? Like, what what is your role? I I know there's a Canada U.S. Uh, relationship going on here. So how, how did you, Jordan, get involved in this? Sure, my role is um, I acquired the rights to the You Break I Fix brand, the franchise brand for Canada. Uh, two years ago, just as they started franchising in North America. So I bought the rights to Canada. So any stores that open in Canada uh, are purchased through me. 
Prior to You Break I Fix, I worked for a software company selling enterprise software for 14 years uh, in various sales and business development positions. And in the last couple of years, uh, there I got kind of itchy and I wanted to, to do my own thing. So I started looking at options and um, getting involved in a business or buying a business uh, in Canada. I looked at uh, other provinces outside of Quebec. I even looked uh, in some parts of the U.S. And... Um, I found you break I fix, you know, in a random moment, I, I wasn't looking for um, a franchise or a, a retail business per se, but I found them when I was on the internet looking for something else. And, um, you know, I couldn't stop thinking about the name you break I fix. Mm -hmm. I just love the simplicity. You know, it's like the beer store in Ontario. <laughs> it's very purposeful. And so, um, you know, for days I kept saying to my wife, what a great name, what a simple name. And um, so I started looking into it and, and uh, I started asking my friends, you know, have you ever broken your cell phone or an iPad? And if so, what did you do? And uh, I kept getting the same answer, you know, which was something along the lines of, I brought it to some guy in the basement underneath the print shop, you know, and uh, no one was saying I brought it to, to Old Navy or Starbucks. There were no big brands um, that were the answer. And I thought, you know, that this is an interesting opportunity. I mean, there are Apple shipping tens of millions of devices per quarter. There's a lot of electronics out there and a lot of breakage. And, and this felt like a big opportunity. You, did you find the franchise and then quit your job? Or did you quit your job, say, I wanted to do something and then found it afterwards? Was there a kind of time delay, a little, the odd scary moment that I got to find something now? Or it was pretty seamless? It's a great question. Um, I did quit my job prior to finding You Break, I Fix. Um, after not finding something before that. And... Uh, you know, sometimes when your back's up against the wall, um, opportunities jump in front of you, and uh, and this was one of those times. So um, it was about a month after that uh, that I came across these guys. And uh, and it sounds like a listen. The you break I fix, as you say, it's so simple and uh, and absolutely needed. As I sit here with my my lovely BlackBerry passport that everybody knows that that we have, Dan, and mm -hmm. there is a crack in the screen, so there's always a need for it. Anyhow, when we come back from the break, lots more to. Lots more to talk about uh, franchises, marketing, and the whole gig. Jordan Socran of You Break, I Fix, our profile this evening on today's on. Socran of You Break, I Fix is our guest this evening. And uh, Jordan, uh, I'm getting a sense that your business is particularly sort of getting popular after the recession, after, you know, we have to sort of start reusing a lot of stuff. And, and certainly the the uh, the issue of e-waste is, is coming up in the news a lot more. And uh, businesses like yours, I'm sure, uh, go a long way to uh, to uh, to addressing that. I mean, in in the U.S., um, there are half a million phones thrown out every single day. It's it's, it's a staggering number. It's hard to believe. Um, you know, and companies like You Break I Fix that recycle responsibly, and it's not just us. It's other companies out there as well. You know, we keep devices out of landfill, um, and when we repair it and keep it in market, which is so common these days because the these devices are so expensive, uh, that also keeps it out of landfill. So there's definitely a green edge to the business. Now. I mean, pricing is definitely a factor, you know, and, and pricing you, your competitors, the original manufacturers, they, they price to, you know, to, to fix things. How do you work out pricing? Is that something that is, is standard across the board, across all franchises? Does it depend on the di device, the popularity of the device, the number of parts? How do you kind of work out pricing in, uh, in, in your network? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, due to the fragmented nature of this business in that there are so many mom and pop shops out there um, where pricing can be you know, often negotiated and, and changes frequently, um, at You Break I Fix, we publish all our prices on the web. 
and we we do that in the U.S. We do that here in Canada as well. And so there's no there's no haggling when you get to the store. The price for the repair is known, um, and we buy so many parts. Uh, we have an office in China, 20 people working there, testing all the parts before they come to our distribution facility in Orlando, which is the largest of its kind in North America. Um, that we have uh, a bit of a guaranteed uh, supply chain, and so that allows us to keep our prices consistent. And there's a balance always between the cost of the repair and the price of the device. Oftentimes, consumers think that their devices are uh, less uh, expensive than they actually are because they've been subsidized by the carrier. So we'll explain that to them, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll let them know the value in repairing it. And, and frankly, if it's an older device and the cost of repair, the economics just aren't worth it, we'll tell the customer that in this instance, uh, repair is not your best option. And there's no doubt, uh, you know, once we're talking repairs, we're talking parts, you're talking China. Uh, and of course, you know, there's there's the U.S. impact. There's the dollar. I mean, the dollar must play a big role, certainly in Canada, as you're as you're buying parts. And you said you you probably have great buying power because of the eighty to a hundred thousand repairs that that you break I fix does uh, across North America per month. By the way, but the dollar has got to play into it and got to maybe a little bit into the pricing. Yeah, certainly, like any importer in Canada, we feel the pain of a low Canadian dollar, um, and uh, and that's absolutely true for us now. Um, there's a margin hit that's uh, that's really inevitable, and in some cases you can adjust the pricing, in other cases uh, you can't. But um, I always tell the owners here that anyone you're competing with has it worse off than you do mm-hmm. because they buy they buy in much lower volumes than we do. Um, but certainly with the dollar, you know, at seventy cents, uh, it impacts margins. No question about it. Now, you came in, what was your, you know, you, you, you bought the rights, you bought the franchise rights, but you didn't really know the business that well. You had to get to know the business. So what are your first steps after you after you get those rights to, to Canada? What do you do? Do you, do you open your own store? Do you franchise out right away? What, what was your first step? The agreement actually requires me to own and operate a store at all times. Um, and so I acquired the rights in the fall of 2013, and I really spent almost the entire year, last year, 2014, uh, opening and, and running my own stores. Uh, in fact, I opened three here in Montreal, got, uh, got the company started here, which I'm proud of, and, uh, and that was really my full-time job for most of the year. Um, at the end of the year, the opportunity cost you know, became clear in terms of being an owner-operator of a retail business and also developing Canada. And so I ended up transferring a couple of the stores to, to one of our owners here uh, in Montreal. And um, I've retained one of them, uh, which I'm required to at all times, and which I, which I love and helps me to, uh, to stay on top of the business and to understand you know, what's coming out. And it makes me a more effective support person for the other owners. Um, but right now I'm focused entirely on, uh, on development. Uh, that's great, and and I know there's there's so much to learn. Anytime you're getting to a brand new business, I mean, there's so many aspects to it, and I'm sure your the the U.S. franchisors that kind of gave you the license are also very helpful. So when we come back uh, after after the breakdown, uh, we'll chat a little bit more with Jordan and uh, certainly hit on the marketing side and the and the location side because franchisees location is hugely important. Today's entrepreneur on CJAD 800 with Jordan Sokran of You Break I Fix at 7:30 right now. 37. Welcome back to today's entrepreneur presented by Fuller. Landau, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with Fuller Landau's Josh Miller. And uh, Josh, we're talking all about electronics tonight. Our guest is Jordan Sokran of You Break, I Fix. And uh, shall we uh, begin, I guess, with the uh, with the age-old question for retailers? You know, those those three rules, location, location, location. Location, location. And certainly, and we're talking fra- we're talking franchises, uh, certainly your first location that you, you know, your corporate store, the one that you still own, uh, I don't know how difficult it was to find, but let's talk about location. 
applications and, and location selection and, and how you get involved and, and what I guess you look for for your business? You Break iFix has uh, roughly 150 stores open today in North America, six of which are in Canada, uh, and we've sold about 250 in total, uh, 17 in total in Canada. So we're, we're learning all the time. and we're, we're growing quickly, but uh, we still have a lot of room to grow. And so we're learning about where our stores do better and worse you know, all the time. Um, today, population density uh, often drives where we put our stores more than anything else. Um, there's a few factors we look for, some complementary businesses in our area, uh, and we help franchisees pick their, their store locations based on those, um, those data points. What about like remote locations where there's not too much around? There's still population density, but there's not too much uh, around, or there, or maybe there's not so much competition. Yeah, we want to be in areas uh, where where people are comfortable shopping, commercial commercially active areas, um, and uh, due to the transactional nature of our business. Um, you know, people drop off devices, pick them up same day. We tend to find our stores in areas where, where people can do other things while they're waiting for their repair, um, banking, grocery shopping, dry cleaners, etc. So you'll, you'll typically find you break I fix stores in strip malls, uh, and that's true in Canada and the U.S. Uh, we don't have a single store, to my knowledge, on any indoor malls today. Um, we're primarily located in, in very, very active strip malls in dense, uh, dense and populous areas. Now, you're, we're talking about devices and, and there's there's so much technology and technology changes all the time. How do you keep up with it? And and I mean, I know it's a big network. It's it's not just you and it's not just only the few stores in Canada. It's all across North America. But is that a challenge to keep up with the, the changing technology constantly? It's a question that every single prospective owner asks us. Um, and the way we do it is... Uh, you know, through data analytics. So we pool the, the 80,000 odd repairs that the company does monthly and we bucket all those repairs. And so um, as you'd expect, patterns emerge. You see a lot of late model iPhones, Samsung phones, etc. Um, and so for the stuff that we see very often, we have secured part supply. And so the stores always have those parts in stock so that we can turn those repairs around same day as part of our brand promise. Um, so stuff that's sort of on the left of the tail, the, the big bucket stuff, we're experts at and we have the parts uh, and we know how to do the repairs. Stuff that's on the far right that we don't see that often, uh, we may not have the part and we may not have spent a lot of time learning the repair, but if it comes up, all our stores are networked together and we have over a thousand you break I fix technicians across Canada and the US. And um, so the knowledge for those repairs is never far off. And for the stuff in the middle, we're just trying to understand if it's moving left or right. <laughs> Now, then, of course, it does take, you mentioned the technicians, you mentioned a thousand technicians across the continent. For you here in Canada and Quebec, has it been easy to find people, find technicians? Like what, what's, what's been, I guess, your style of how to find people? And then, of course, there's the training part. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. I mean, we are first and foremost in the customer service business. And the interesting thing about our business, you know, when, when you, generally speaking, when you go to the bank or the dry cleaner, you know, on the emotional scale, that interaction is fairly neutral. You never go in too upset to the bank or, or the dry cleaner or the grocery store, and you never leave too happy. It's, it's fairly neutral. At You Break I Fix, people tend to come in on the left. I mean, they're upset, they're frustrated, they're angry, they've broken something expensive, they've gotten something wet or water damaged, they've lost data, they've broken something of someone else's, and so they're upset. Um, but that gives us the opportunity to, to really build a strong relationship by turning that experience around for them and getting them back out the door quickly, professionally, with a repaired device. Um, and so we want to make sure that the people in the stores that interact with them 
have good soft skills, you know, empathy, sympathy, um, can explain things in, in plain English and easy to understand as well. And so we look for that in our technicians. The repair end, uh, we give every single technician over 100 hours of training. Um, and so, so we hire for soft skills and we train for the hard skills. And we have more applicants than, than we can hire in our stores. People seem to love the idea of learning how to fix and repair technology, interacting with consumers, and always playing, you know, with the latest gadgets. Jordan Sokran joins us of You Break, I Fix. So because you have so many uh, customers that are, are in distress in, in many cases, uh, do you ever have some really rewarding stories where you're able to save something that was sort of on the brink of, of disaster? I'm sure all your all your listeners know how important their, their smartphones are to them. And uh, I don't think any of us could really be too happy being without it for for days, you know, which traditionally in electronics repair is exactly what would happen when your device went off to some nondescript depot center and it took a week or two weeks to get that device back. And, um, you know, so it's not unusual for us to have overjoyed customers who come in, they're really frustrated, they're angry, their device is cracked, they've run over it, they've dropped it in the toilet, and two hours later, uh, we hand it back to them clean, brand new. Uh, they peel that sticker off and uh, they're just really happy. And if you check all our stores, you know the number of positive Google reviews ranking near five, a perfect five out of five, is extremely high for, for almost all of our stores. Now, we, we just, you know, we, we don't have too much time left, but I did want to touch on franchising a little bit and your experience because you're, you've kind of been on both sides of that coin. You, you know, you've, you're a franchisee, I guess, if you will, uh, because you, you brought it into Canada and you, you own a store, but you're also a franchisor. How, how has that experience been? Maybe you can kind of uh, give us some, some words of advice or what you see has kind of worked well or maybe could improve between your relationship with the U.S. and how supportive they are and, and maybe what uh, a takeaway or two that you have. Franchising is all around us. In Canada, Roughly 20 cents on every dollar spent in retail is spent with a franchise. Um, a lot of that's food related, uh, but, but nonetheless. And um, one thing that I find just fascinating about franchising is that it's a really interesting um, balance between entrepreneurialism and risk-taking because you are doing your own thing, you are your own boss, and, and you're, you're taking the leap, um, but yet you're inheriting a system that has worked well for, for many, many other people. And so for a lot of people coming into franchising, that balance is, is very attractive. With respect to Canada's relationship with the U.S., um, Canada is an important market for the U.S. Generally in franchising, uh, Canada follows a 10% rule. So we hope to have 3,500 stores in North America, um, you know, 10% of roughly, which, uh, which will be here in Canada. So we work extremely closely with the U.S. and uh, they're very supportive of our efforts here. We were the first country that, uh, that they chose to develop outside the United States. And, uh, you know, they've been incredible every step of the way. It's a great story, Jordan, and and thank you very much for sharing. And I guess while we're on the topic of, of U.S. and Canada, Dan, uh, we've got uh, we, that's the topic that's coming up next. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got uh, we got uh, our partner Ernie Firth that's here, and there are plenty of challenges cross border. You know, whether you're hiring somebody, a consultant across the border, whether you have royalties, your payments going across border, the government kind of wants to get their claws in a little bit of everything. So we'll we'll discuss some of the challenges uh, that entrepreneurs have to face and understand as they're dealing with these issues. All right, cross border tax issues coming up on today's Entrepreneur at seven forty five. Today's entrepreneur, inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmore and Phil Orlando's Josh Miller with you. We have Jordan Sokran, our profile for this evening of You Break, I Fix. And Ernie Ferd is here, tax partner at Phil Orlando, to talk about some cross-border tax issues. Welcome back, Ernie. Thank you. Good to be here. So, gentlemen, is it fair to say that dealing with American tax authorities more complicated than Canadian tax authorities? No. No? 
it's not it's not fair to say it. Um, <laughs> dealing with American tax authorities is different than dealing with Canadian tax authorities. Um, when you deal with the U.S. tax authorities, the people on the line that you get are very, very slow and methodical, and it's very difficult to get through. And when you get through, you are dealing with somebody slow and methodical, and you can go wild. While dealing with Canada, especially at the audit level, you get some people that are actually quite good and want to solve the file quickly. In the, in the IRS, things have a terrible tendency of uh, of dragging on and on, but it's not because they don't want to close the file. It's because they don't know what they're doing. So for, for for you know for the most part, because you have to to work up the food chain in order to get to somebody who understands the specific section of the law that that you're dealing with, and it's not easy sometimes. Now, there's no doubt there's a, there's a lot of transactions that happen cross-border. I mean, we, we use our neighbors to the south uh, on a very frequent basis. Are there anything that, that entrepreneurs should know, like if they're hiring, say, a, a consultant south of the border uh, or a sales rep or an employee, something that, that they really need to wrap their head around and say it's not so simple as, as cutting them a check or sending them a wire transfer, they really got to pay attention to certain things? It depends where that person is going to be working. Let's assume that person's working in Canada as a consultant. It's a U.S. consultant, and it's an independent consultant. There's a withholding tax that you have to, to take care of, which is a 15% withholding tax on the federal side. And if that consultant's working in Quebec, there's a 9% withholding tax on that. And these consultants are going to have to file Canadian tax returns in order to get that money back, or alternatively, before everything is done, you have to, or they have to, apply for waivers. Now, these waivers are very, very difficult to get. They take a long time. Uh, processing time these days, probably six to eight weeks. So if you don't have the contract signed and all your T's crossed and your I's dotted, you may not get the waiver. And at the end of the day, it may not be worth the fees in order to try get the waiver. And if they're working in the U.S.? If they're working in the U.S., it's fine. You're, you, you know, a Canadian can engage a, a U.S. consultant to do to do work for them in the U.S. Um, it's independent work, so potentially they're going to be issuing an invoice for sure. And you may be issuing a slip, like a 1099 slip, which is the, let's call it the Canadian equivalent is a, T, a T4A. And then there's, of course, what if they're really an employee? What if they're not calling the shots, but really the, the Canadian company or employer are calling the shots about this person that's working out of New York uh, full-time for them? The person's working out of a state. It's a possibility that the Canadian company has to file a U.S. return for that. Certainly, they would have to get a payroll number for the, for the U.S. and file a W-2. But just like, you know, certain... Certain business people shoot from the hip and say, well, he's independent because he says he is and because I allow him to work for other people. Uh, so consequently, regardless of the fact that he works for me exclusively, we still consider that individual to be self-employed. And it's a question of fact at the end of the day. And the rules between self-employment in Canada and the United States are quite similar. And, uh, you know, the odds of being audited in the States are less. But the odds of being audited here are a little bit higher, but they have to come in and they have to see it. So you have to make sure your ducks are in a row. And definitely, definitely some reporting requirements. So when we come back from the break, we'll touch a little bit on, on those what entrepreneurs uh, should know. Because there's certainly, between the IRS forms that are out there, between Canada having a permanent establishment, uh, or, may, or maybe not, but it's certainly determining it, is something that, that we really need to figure out. 
Uh, Ernie, what what, uh, what 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 would be your one piece of advice for those who are sort of maybe just getting into business with uh, with the states, maybe collecting income and all that? How do you make sure that everything is, is square? Well, first of all, you have to have um, people on both sides of the border. You look for experts here who have good contacts in the U.S. and who can uh, actually refer you to those contacts. And between the, the local provider and the U.S. provider, <clears throat> the, between the two of them, you'll be able to go, to do a good plan for the entity on a, on a go-forward basis because you don't want to fall into any traps. Do you, have, and, do you have to sort of reach out to the American authorities as soon as you accept business from the States? We're not reaching out to the American authorities. First of all, we're reaching out to an American counterpart, okay, and they will drive whether you're going to go to the American authorities or not, but you may do that simply by filling out a form in order to get a U.S. ID number, a U.S. employer ID number, which you will need, and and you will need that to do business in the States. Uh, you may be asked for it at the border. You may be asked for certain things, and you have to file U.S. returns in that regard. And then there's the, because I, I, I hear horror stories about not filing. It doesn't mean you owe any taxes, but you don't file a U.S. form, and there could be big penalties. $10,000 penalties, even more on certain cases. But, you know, a lot of those forms are are done by individuals on their tax returns. And those forms are very onerous and very detailed. And you forget certain things. You don't file them on time. Uh, you don't do your extensions the way you're supposed to because there's a U.S. deadline coming up right now, uh, which is October 15th. Yeah, to your point about uh, withholding taxes, you know, in our business at uh, You Break I Fix, our franchisees' uh, royalty payments going to the U.S. are subject to withholding taxes Correct. as well. Ten so, points, right? Ten points, exactly. So they need to file for in our four forms. Mm -hmm. and, uh, exactly. Know. Today's Entrepreneur on CJAD will have uh, Jordan Sokran's one piece of advice for Today's Entrepreneur next. 758 on CJAD 800. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur. Jordan Sokran of You Break I Fix is here with us and Ernie Furt, tax partner at Fuller Landau, talking about some cross-border tax issues. Super, one, super fast, one quick question, Ernie. A lot of Canadian companies, entrepreneurs have sales offices in the U.S. Quick piece of advice for them. Talk to a state t tax accountant. Make sure you don't have Nexus in the state where you have a sales office in or in other states where these uh, this people who are walking around the United States do business. Otherwise, you could be taxed on the sales that happen in the States? You could be. You just have to be careful because you have report. You may have reporting requirements for franchise tax or some state taxes. It all depends where you are. Excellent. Thank you. And as we come to our last moment of the show, we'll, we'll turn to Jordan and, uh, and ask you, Jordan, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? You know, my advice for, for your listeners today would be that morning when you wake up and, and you say to yourself that, you know, while change is hard, not changing has become harder, um, that might be a good time to consider becoming an entrepreneur and, uh, and taking that step. I think that's great. And Dan, my uh, my one takeaway in listening to Jordan's story, uh, and he said it briefly, but he, he, he said it very well at one point, it was understanding the balance between risk and knowledge when you're going to a franchise business. So it's kind of a proven product, yet yet you're still taking on some risk because you got to deal with your own environment, your your own region, but yet it's something that's that, that you understand because other people have done it. And understanding the balance between that risk and that knowledge going into it uh, is is really helpful. Thank you very much. Jordan Sokran of You Break I Fix, uh, thanks so much for stopping by tonight. And a thanks to Ernie Ferd as well from Fuller Landau. Josh, we're actually back in three weeks from now. We have Thanksgiving next week, then the election. The elections. The Monday yeah. after that. So we'll be back in three weeks uh, on uh, Monday nights here on News Talk Radio CJAD 800. The